Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. The DC Insider Employer Update brings you the current insights and expertise of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from Fortney Scott. Each episode will highlight the most important updates and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. This information contained in the podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Joining in today's episode are three lawyers from Fortney Scott who bring special familiarity with the workings of Congress and the federal agencies. David Fortney, a former acting solicitor of the Department of Labor, co-founder of the Institute for Workplace Equality and co-founder of Fortney Scott. Bert Fishman, a former deputy solicitor of labor for national operations and a perennial DC super lawyer in labor and employment. And lastly, Nita Beecher, who brings a unique blend of experience as an in-house counsel, an executive with a leading employer network, and now as a member of the firm. In this second podcast covering the first 100 days of the Biden administration, we unpack what the American Rescue Plan passed by Congress and signed by President Biden means for employers. The president now has achieved a major campaign promise to provide comprehensive COVID relief, including individual stimulus checks, expanded paid sick, and support of extended unemployment benefits, vaccinations, and state and local governments. Finally, we review the administration's latest personnel updates and what this means for employers, as well as a preview of key developments that are on the horizon. Well, there's a lot to cover today, so let's welcome back our Fortney Scott team. David, glad you're with us today. Hey, Pete, great to be with you again. And Bert, welcome back. Thank you, glad to be here. Anita, thanks for joining us again. Thank you. So let's move on. This time around, let's just jump into the conversation as thoughts come to mind. Big news this week was Congress passing the American Rescue Plan. President Biden signed this on Thursday. David, what can you tell us that employers need to know about the rescue plan? Thanks, Pete. This is a huge uh, victory for President Biden, and it also represents the most, the largest piece of legislation ever enacted by Congress, $1.9 trillion. It's a huge amount of money. Interestingly, to put it in perspective, it represents 10% is really funding the COVID, direct COVID crisis. About 90% of the bill is to address the economic crisis. And I think that's helpful as we sort of unpack some of these components. Many of the components that we're familiar with from earlier relief efforts were included in this. For example, uh, additional money in the form of stimulus checks. In this bill, uh, we have an additional $1,400 per person in a stimulus check if you make up to 75K. And for couples, you can go up to $150,000 to receive that payment. There's also additional unemployment benefits. And these unemployment benefits are important and significant. That's $300 a week. Those were one of the big drivers to get the bill passed because they were scheduled to expire in uh, March 14th. So there will not be a break in unemployment and those supplemental benefits will come in. Bert. David, I just want to point out that the stimulus checks also go to dependents so that your your, uh, children, your college-age children, the elderly parent that you're taking care of, all are eligible to receive a stimulus check. That's a huge amount of money. It sure is. So we have the stimulus check, we have the unemployment benefit, 
And we have additional monies that uh, go to families in terms of what's called periodically, which is uh, interesting and has, again, been so there's been some political consternation whether this is a windfall, but families up to $3,000 per year paid periodically, in addition to monies per child of up to 3600 So, Nita, let me ask you, can you help us identify and understand a little better some of the provisions that are really COVID-focused? Because those certainly build on what we had before. Absolutely, David, and thank you. Um, I did want to mention one thing, as we've talked about this being a tax bill, for those who get these unemployment benefits, $10,000 of those unemployment benefits are tax-free, which is unusual. Uh, It's a special deal for those who are unemployed. But switching over, uh, a lot of the money, uh, going back to what is President Biden's number one issue uh, besides the economy, that is COVID, that is stopping COVID, that is getting us back to normal. And there is $48.3 billion to support COVID testing, contact tracing. There's another almost $8 billion to add more workers to the very underfunded health, uh, public health workforce. Vaccine distribution, over $5 billion to the CDC. And for those out trying desperately to find vaccines, let me tell you, we're ready for some help in that area. I think for employers, David and Bert, I think the most interesting thing is an expansion of what was granted in the March 2020 bill, which is the paid sick leave and the emergency FMLA. It's not mandatory this time, but employers, all employers, will get a tax credit if they provide paid sick leave for those employees who either have are sick or quarantined or are going to get immunizations. And I think that that's a huge change. David? You know, that paid sick leave, I thought another interesting component of it was that it applies not just when you're sick, but also to take time off in order to be vaccinated, which is interesting and it underscores really this bill's attempt to maximize incentives, uh, and which is a big boom for employers to help incentivize their workers, because we're not talking about a mandated vaccine, but to provide incentives. And certainly one way of doing it is I can provide you with paid leave now and with the tax benefit that goes with it in order to do that. So I thought that was a, a significant change. So I'm going to follow up with what David said. Sure. Uh, you know, David, you're right. This this provides to employers another additional incentive to allow their employees to go and get vaccinated, which means more people can go back to work. They are adding an additional 10 days of paid leave. You will get a tax credit for up to 10 days of paid leave between April the 1st and uh, the end of September. Um, there are additional protections, uh, David and Bert, for uh, the federal workforce. Um, they're going to get additional up to 15 weeks of paid leave if workers are ill or quarantined. And FEMA has got a $50 billion uh, amount of money to help with distribution and where there are problems. Bert, anything else that you wanted to provide around that? Well, yeah, as I said, the main thrust of this bill is uh, using the tax code, but I think people have overlooked uh, one of the central facets of the bill, which is that this is the boldest anti-poverty bill that we have seen since the great war on poverty under uh, Lyndon Johnson. 
There's huge amounts of direct payments, some of which you've heard, but I'd like to add just a few more that are not necessarily employment related, but will boost the economy. For example, $350 million in aid to state and local governments, which will of course boost hiring and save jobs. Support for K through 12 schools, which helps everybody in the economy, not just teachers, not just custodians. Once we get the school open, the economy can start coming back to life. There's fundamental support for increasing participation in the ACA. And finally, there's $200 million for the Department of Labor's worker protection arm to support OSHA, to support wage and hour, to support the solicitor with $100 million, particularly uh, earmarked for OSHA. And then we get into the strictly anti-poverty section of this bill, and it's all done through the tax code. And just for a policy wonk moment, using the tax code is what permitted the Senate to use the budget reconciliation process. That whole business where you only needed 50 votes, didn't have to worry about filibusters. So listen to what the stuff is done through tax changes. You can expand the employee retention tax credit for startup companies. You expanded the child and dependent care tax credit up to $8,000 per couple. You increased the earned income tax credit to such a point that some commentators believe that we're going to reduce childhood poverty by as much as 50%. Those are fascinating, expensive useful ways of using the tax code to end poverty. David? You know, Bert, it's interesting to me because this really represents, if you will, almost an experiment, a, a very pricey one, whereas the prior administration, of course, used the tax code, but it was focused on corporate tax relief and providing corporate tax relief, which in turn would incentivize and allow the development of jobs, greater employment opportunity, and the economy did very well in response. Now we have a fundamentally different approach with both a health crisis and an economic crisis, as you point out. And now the attempt is to provide that, use the tax code again, but directed at individuals to see if that will provide the safety net and really help rebuild the economy. I wanted to just add one other thing is going back to the $200 million added to the Department of Labor's budget with $100 million for OSHA. Those agencies, especially OSHA, which never had a head during the entire four years of the prior administration, are desperate to add uh, new inspectors. And so uh, I, I suspect with the emergency standard coming out soon, I think OSHA needs that money desperately. Well, let's, gang, this is, it's incredible how much has been allotted and how much is going to be spent. But David, let's turn to the people that are going to lead the spending of that, if you will. Can you tell us what's going on with Biden's cabinet, especially personnel who might impact employers? Sure. So the Senate has demonstrated at least some ability to, as they say, walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, they have been dealing with this bill, but also the confirmation process uh, for the cabinet officers, because recall that the president has to nominate, but then the Senate has to confirm by a vote in order for the uh, individuals to be selected as the cabinet officer. That has proceeded to pace. So at this point, the president has gotten almost all of his nominees through, but not quite. He's at uh, 16 of 23 nominees. We know the OMB nominee, that uh, nomination was withdrawn because it was not going to be successful. But the one that we're really focused on uh, at this point, of course, is the Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh. 
And although the nominee enjoys bipartisan support and everyone expects him to be confirmed, that has not yet occurred. On the other hand, one of the most important confirmations for employers is Merrick Garland. Judge Garland now is heading the U.S. Department of Justice, and it promises to be a robust and independent Department of Justice. So I think that's going to continue. One other nomination, it's not a cabinet, but it's the next click down that's going to be, we're going to be watching next week is for the number two person at the Labor Department, what's called the Deputy Secretary of Labor. And that's Julie Sue is the nominee from California. Her nomination hearing promises to be a bit rocky because there's quite a bit of unemployment money that went out while she was in her position in the state of California that uh, is alleged to have been paid improperly to ineligible folks. So I think there'll be a bit of fireworks to that too early to tell whether she in fact will be confirmed. We will see, but that's important for us. Bert. We also don't have any nominees in what you call the sub-cabinet level at the Labor Department. We're still waiting for a solicitor nomination. We're waiting for a, a wage and hour ad administrator. We're even waiting for an OSHA director, even though this temporary standard is, is already being worked on. And that's kind of unusual. Right. So it's not only do we not have anyone confirmed, we don't even have nominees yet for the Senate to consider. So, Nita, a lot of the action has been over the EEOC, which is separate from the Labor Department. What's the latest on key personnel there? Last Friday, the president asked the EEOC General Counsel, Sharon Gustafson, to resign. She refused and was fired. So there is presently no general counsel at the EEOC, and no one has yet been nominated. So we don't know exactly who is going to be in that position. For EEOC, that general counsel is not as important as it is at some other agencies, such as the National Labor Relations Board, where the firing of Peter Robb has created some interesting legal problems, which we'll talk a little bit about next week. Wow, lots going on, everybody. Let's wrap up with some final thoughts going around the table. Bert, let's start with you. While we're going to be taking up the agencies next week in more detail, what should employers expect from the Biden agencies? Quite a bit. Uh, not unexpectedly, the administration rescinded the Trump administration's joint employer regulations and withdrew the independent contractor rule, which had been frozen by the courts. These are the hottest topics in employment world. The new rules have yet to be published, but for employers, frankly, I think the best way to plan going forward is to pretend it's 2015. David? Bert, I'm still keeping my eye very much on OSHA. Next week, March 15, is the deadline that has been set by the president for them to issue the emergency temporary standard to uh, address COVID. I'm anticipating they will meet that deadline. Nita? OFCCP has opened its portal, which will require verification by every federal contractor that they are in compliance, which means that federal contractors better start getting their AAPs done in less than six or eight months as they do now. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a big week next week. Lots going on this week. So thanks to all our guests, and we look forward to our next update. For those that would like to connect with David Burt or Nita or any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting fortneyscott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.